Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux from Freedom Main Radio. Yes, it's time to circle back to the Michael Brown killing. New information has emerged that really changes the entire narrative and will result in any reasonably-minded people apologizing for all of the earlier race-baiting that has occurred in this tragic situation. So, before we get to the actual evidence, which is being presented to the grand jury as we speak, we're going to look at last Saturday night. Last Saturday night, Michael Brown's grandmother and his cousin were selling Michael Brown merchandise in a parking lot out back of some store. According to police reports, Michael Brown's mother pulled up in a car with some people. And uh, Michael Brown's mother screamed at her relatives, You can't sell this shit! And one of the relatives yelled back, demanded to know whether she had a patent on Michael Brown. And uh, things escalated quickly, and an unidentified companion of Michael Brown's mother uh, began assaulting Michael Brown's cousin with what is reported to be a metal pipe or pole, beating his face in. A a 911 call was placed, and uh, medics took this um, poor young man to Christian Northeast Hospital. And then the friend of Michael Brown's mom, who had beaten Michael Brown's cousin with a metal pipe, grabbed the merchandise and a cash box, believing to have contained about $1,400. So i tell you what this does for me. What it does for me is it opens up a little window into the hellscape of Michael Brown's childhood. So his mom drives up in a car with people who are willing to beat in the face with a metal pipe Michael Brown's cousin over petty cash and some t-shirts. I was raised to believe that a person is known by the company that he or she keeps. This is low company. This is violent thug company. This is the environment that Michael Brown grew up in. That, to me, is the fundamental tragedy of all of this. The degree to which this altercation of a t-shirts erupts into face metal pipe beating violence so quickly. And then, after saying that all the Ferguson cops are racists who kill blacks, what do they do? They call the cops. I think that puts a little bit of a ding in the narrative. So, let's look at some of the facts that are now emerging in the grand jury testimony. First and foremost, seven or eight amazingly brave and courageous African-Americans have stepped forward and are providing testimony that is consistent with Officer Wilson's account. But none of them have spoken publicly for fear of their safety, right? And that kind of hood, snitches get stitches and, I believe, possibly thrown in ditches. So this helps us understand why there seems to be a bit of a salmon in a current conformity with regards to the testimony regarding this incident. They want to be anonymous because they fear the repercussions in their own community for telling the truth of what they saw. So, according to the testimony of the seven or eight blacks who claim to be eyewitnesses, according to Officer Wilson and according and in accordance with the actual evidence of what happened, this is the story. I'm not saying this is all proven and true, but this is the most consistent, most verified story there is. After he finished with a call for a sick baby, Officer Brown was driving along, sorry, Officer Wilson was driving along and he spotted Brown and his friend Dorian Johnson. They're walking down the middle of the road, traffic passing them on either side. Wilson asked or ordered the men to move to the sidewalk. And um, 
Johnson pointed out the pair's destination, and they just kept walking down the middle of the road. Brown was walking by, holding cigarolas in his hand, and he cursed Wilson. And now, after Brown passed by, Wilson realized that Johnson's clothing matched a recent radio alert about a suspect in a robbery at a nearby market where cigarellos had been taken. Wilson radioed for assistance, backed up his SUV to Brown and Johnson. Wilson tried to get out of the SUV after placing it in park. Brown slammed the door shut and punched Wilson in the left side of the face through the open window. Brown was trapped in the front seat, couldn't use his pepper spray in the confined space because if you pepper spray someone, you incapacitate yourself if it's that enclosed. His baton was in the back of his utility belt, so he was basically sitting on it. He did not have a taser, so he drew his gun. Brown then grabbed at the pistol using his right hand with his elbow against Wilson. Remember, Brown, 280 pounds or so. During the struggle, Brown uh, handed the cigarellos to Johnson and then swung his left hand and hit Wilson on the right side of the face. Wilson said that he almost lost consciousness at that moment. Brown then began to use his left hand in the struggle for the gun and turned the pistol until the barrel was against Wilson's hip. Wilson positioned his finger, trying to prevent Brown from reaching the trigger. When Wilson pulled himself back towards the passenger side of the SUV, Brown's grip loosened enough for Wilson to try and pull the trigger himself. But the gun didn't fire. Wilson theorizes that Brown's hand may have been on the hammer, preventing it from moving. The second time Wilson pulled the trigger, the gun did fire. Wilson told investigators he thought the bullet had struck Brown in the hand. This is verified by the physical evidence of gunshot residue and a gunshot wound to Michael Brown's hand. Essential. If Michael Brown's hand is shot at close range, it could only have been during an altercation with the officer. Which means if the the powder was close to the hand, which it is, then he was probably or almost certainly reaching for the gun. Blood on the door, blood on the gun, blood on Wilson's hands, and he didn't even know whose blood it was at the time. The struggle continued. Wilson attempted to pull the trigger two times more. Wilson thought the Brown's hand may have interfered again. Wilson was able to fire a second shot, and Brown ran, got out of the SUV, and chased Brown. Brown stopped and turned. Wilson said Brown did not have his hands up. His left hand was slightly out, fingers pointing down. His right hand was grasping his shirt. Then Brown began charging towards him. Okay, so just so we understand, he stops, gets assaulted. Guy grabs for his gun. He shoots, shoots the guy's hand. Guy runs away. He gets out. He's already radioed for backup. Guy starts charging him. Wilson yelled for Brown to stop, then fired when Brown did not stop. Brown flinched as if he was hit. And Wilson stopped shooting. Brown then continued charging towards him. Wilson fired several more shots. Wilson said Brown's head was down when the last shot hit him there. And the wounds on the top of the head are consistent with falling forward, not withstanding. And remember, this guy's a giant. He's huge. Unless Officer Wilson had a handy stepladder and some weird walk upside down on clouds matrix moves, he can't shoot him on the top of the head unless he's falling forward. Wilson then made another radio call for an ambulance. Official autopsy on Michael Brown shows that he was shot in the hand at close range. Utterly supports what Officer Wilson is saying. Michael Brown was shot in the hand at close range. Report on the supplemental microscopic exam of tissue from the thumb wound showed foreign matter consistent with products that were discharged from the barrel of a firearm. 
forensic pathologist in San Francisco said the autopsy supports the fact that this guy is reaching for the gun. If he has gunpowder, particular material in the wound. So he's going for the officer's gun. The autopsy does not support witnesses who claim that Brown was shot while running away from Wilson or with his hands up. Shots were in the front, top of the head. Brown was facing Wilson when he took a shot to the forehead, two shots to the chest, and a shot to the upper right arm. Brown's blood was also found on Wilson's gun. A sixth shot that hit the forearm traveled from the back of the arm to the inner arm, which means that Brown's palms could not have been facing Wilson, as some witnesses have said. The trajectory shows Brown was probably not taking a standard surrender position with arms above the shoulders and palms out when he was hit. Blood spatter evidence shows the blood uh, Brown was heading towards the officer during their face-off. So let's just... Oh, and by the by, levels of marijuana in Brown's blood were so high that they could have caused hallucinations. So let's just run through a little checklist about this situation. Michael Brown, under the influence of marijuana, high levels of marijuana, wanted for a strong-arm robbery, has the stolen goods in his possession. He's jaywalking in the middle of traffic, Cars going by on either side. Disobeys an officer's request. Curses at an officer. Assaults and beats up an officer. Tries to grab the officer's firearm and pull the trigger. Refuses commands to desist. And charges at the officer. Please don't try and tell me this is about race. There is not one human being alive who was capable of doing that who would not have met the same fate. So, these are... The facts that have been reported, are they conclusive? Are they beyond any shadow of the doubt? Hard to say. I mean, in these situations, all we can go in with is the physical evidence. And the physical evidence and the witness testimony that is shielded by anonymity and has, of course, less fear of reprisals from the community, the evidence, the uh, testimony of eyewitnesses and the reports of Officer Wilson are all consistent. This is about as certain as you're ever going to get without cameras on the scene. So, the race baiters were wrong. The race baiters were. The hands up, don't shoot people, were wrong. This was a rush to judgment. This was a lynching. This was unjust. The cries of racism were an insult to the officers, to whites as a whole. This is an insult. This is offensive. That was racist of everyone. Now, let me tell you how it works if you are a reasonable and decent human being. If you make an egregious charge of racism and murder, if you scream and cry out for people's murder because they wanted the blood of Officer Wilson, if you loot, if you burn down, if you trash your neighborhood, if you throw rocks and bottles and Molotov cocktails, if you assault people, and it turns out you were wrong... You need to apologize and make restitution. You know, those stores you burnt down, go clean them up. Go help those people out. Go volunteer at those stores to work without pay until the damage, the price of the damage has been rest restored. Go make some restitution. Go apologize to all those race baiters of every ethnicity. Look in the mirror for unholy confirmation bias. Look in the mirror. What an incredible opportunity you have to expand your self-knowledge and look at your own vile prejudices in these matters. Why do you need to race bait? 
Why do you need to race bait and then at the same time claim diversity is so wonderful? Well, which is it? If diversity is wonderful, if multiracialism is wonderful, then stop race baiting. Because it kind of throws a bit of a spanner in the works of, yay, multiracialism. If you believe that race baiting is the way things are, and race is going to hate each other, stop talking about multiculturalism as a positive. Can't have it both ways. To the media. Oh, God. Vile, vile, vile race baiting. I'm not expecting the media to change. I mean, prostitution is an age-old business. I believe it's actually older than farming and prostitution, which is marketing to people by appealing to their basest and worst instincts. It goes all the way back to the prosecution of Socrates. But we can change the media by simply avoiding race-baiting media. Read race-baiting? Stay away. A man and a woman is known by the company that they keep and the media that they consume. So if you were out there race-baiting, whether you're in the media or anywhere else, and faced with this evidence, you now know that you were in the wrong, you need to step forward, stand up, and apologize. Try it with me. I was wrong. I rushed to judgment. I have my own prejudices against white people. And I acted in a base and racist manner. And there's something I really need to learn for my rush to lynch a white person. Now that the evidence is in that shows that he was almost certainly in the right. That he was assaulted. That he was threatened with murder himself. That a crazed man grabbed his gun. I rushed to judgment. I judged a white person negatively because I'm racist. I need to look in the mirror and figure out why I did that. And anybody who doesn't do that, anybody who cried out racism, anybody who race baited and rioted and looted and does not apologize and make restitution, well, a man is known by the company he keeps. Do you really want to keep the company of those people?